0: Hello and welcome to the Revived Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Today Pastor Todd teaches us one of the foundations of the Christian faith, how to share the gospel, the good news about salvation in Jesus. How does that come about? How does that look when we are sharing the gospel? And what are we actually sharing? As Pastor Todd regularly asks, are you ready to get into it? Be sure to listen to the end for some important information.
1: I think the biggest struggle for so many of us is wanting a change. Just the wanting of what we've been waiting for, the wanting of a breakthrough, the wanting of a satisfaction about something, the wanting of of new, something new, something different. Maybe, Maybe we get to a place where it's just, it's been like this for so long. I'm just ready to have things different. And it is truly a test of our trust. Do you trust that when you go to God and say, you know what it is, can we do something different? Can we change this? Can we move in a new direction? Can things be turned over and released? You have a change coming to you. You have a release coming. Yeah, I'm talking to you. You have a release coming to you. I, I think what you've been struggling with tonight gets broken off of you and you walk forward without it. And you wake up tomorrow and you'll be thinking, this is different. I don't know what's different yet. I don't know what's different about it, but I know that there was a bondage that got broke, and now I'm going to walk in it and kind of see what it looks like and feels like from here. Uh, for you, ma'am, behind Frankie. Uh, yeah, you. Um, yep, You. Hey, yeah, before we even started tonight, and I know this could be cliche because it's Valentine's and all that kind of thing, but I looked over at you and I saw a card, like a Hallmark card open in front of you. And on the card was a heart, and but the heart lifted right up off the card and it just laid over you and poured it, made you red from head to toe. And I said, God, what is that? And he said, I'm about to show her what my love feels like. Uh, so I just bless you with a time where God is going to show you that He loves you. Not not just see it, hear it, whatever. You will feel it and know it and sense it and 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 um, spiritually appraise that He is now showing me his love for me. Uh, And and I think that's a testimony that you're going to have how that plays out. Uh, Now, that's that's Todd, not God. Uh, But I believe you're going to get the opportunity to tell that story of how he did that. Um, Man, change is available. It's available and we just got to trust in it. We just got to believe in it. We just got to go forward knowing it doesn't have, listen, I got some stuff in my life that I am so ready for it to be different. Uh, But you know, uh, I just know that he's working it. And, and anytime I express my frustration to God about it, he just says, do you not think I know that? You know what I mean? Where he just kind of says, really? Like, you think I didn't know? (laughs) Tonight, we're in a series about the fundamentals of Christianity, the basic fundamentals of what we believe and why we believe it. And tonight, what I want to talk about is probably the most common fundamental topic we can talk about, and that's the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Just that what is and how does salvation come about? Now listen, when we are saved, there's a whole lot of things that happen. We are healed from physical and emotional hurts. We are delivered with an authority. We're adopted as a child. We get entrance into the kingdom of God. But tonight, I want to talk about that evangelistic Part of salvation—that what is saved. How do we share the gospel? Are we sharing the gospel, and how does that look when we share the gospel? What are we sharing when we try to bring someone else out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom? of Light? tonight is going to be a great night for you to take notes, and I'm I'm, I'm thinking about this, so you be thinking about. It. I'm thinking about opening this up at the end for some questions. But I'm going to start with Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So familiar, if you've been in church more than half hour. (laughs) Go, therefore, and make disciples. What's a disciple? A follower of Christ. What do you have to be to not be a disciple? You have to not be a follower of Christ. So to make a disciple, we're helping someone follow Christ. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. This scripture in Christianity has a title. Now, what's the title? You guys call it the what? The Great Commission. I saw it on your lips. The Great Commission. No, it, it actually was. She did. She did. She did. It's like, I'm not sure I want to say that out loud because that might not be the right answer because the right answer is always Jesus, and I was going to say Great Commission. It is known as the Great Commission, that we are commanded to go out, and we are commissioned to go out. But do you know that in the recent Barna studies, as, as late as 2019 and 18, 47% of millennials, now that's easy way to say it is the 20-something crowd, millennials say it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone in a different faith in hopes that they would one day share the same faith as you. This is the younger generation coming up saying, if you have a faith and I believe in Jesus Christ, it is wrong for me to share my faith with you in hopes that you might adopt Jesus Christ as your savior. That's what we're raising up. In 2018, 51% of Christians did not recognize the term or know what it means, the Great Commission. Three in 10 Christians say evangelism is the responsibility of the church, not the individual. I don't know if you're thinking about that, but one in three of us says, I don't have to share the gospel. That's the job of the church. 78% of Christians, almost 80% have not shared their faith in the last six months. And 59% say they have not invited anyone to a church in the last six months. Now, this is a group that is commissioned to go out and make disciples. So I began to study why, why don't we share our faith? What is missing in us? Because if you're here, then that faith means something to you. You're here for a reason. You're here because you believe, because you want to grow closer to God, because you want to understand these things. And yet 80% of us are not sharing that with anybody else. So I looked at another Barna survey and got the top seven reasons that people say, this is why I don't share my faith. Number one, fear. I'm afraid of losing the relationship. Number two, I don't have the opportunity to share my faith. (laughs) I did. I laughed when I read that because uh, you're talking to Christians and the number two response is, I don't have the opportunity to share my faith. Like I'm Never with anybody that's not a believer. I'm, anyways. Number three, I love this. It was honest. The third highest number is nothing stops me from sharing my faith. In other words, I just don't. Number four, I don't feel equipped to share my faith. I'm gonna talk about that one in a minute. Number five, others are not interested in my faith. Number six, The fear of rejection if I share my faith, that's different from the fear of losing the relationship. It's the fear of you will think differently of me because I shared my faith. And number seven, the fear of hostility if I share my faith. And I don't know if you'd know this if I didn't give you numbers, but this says that right at 40% of people do not share their faith out of fear. Some kind of fear is holding us back from sharing our faith. Way to go, enemy. Way to go, enemy. Is that me talking there? It is. Somebody's got the live stream on their phone. It's great. I remember being up here one day. And we were in a whole group of us standing up here talking and we're trying to do something as a group and I keep hearing this voice over and over and over and I'm like, who is that? And why don't they turn it off? And then I realize it's coming out of my back pocket. And I've got the live stream on and I'm listening to me talk in a 30-second delay. So if... We are concerned about sharing our faith. What does the harvest field look like? In other words, what's our opportunity out there to bring someone to faith in Christ? Do you know a legitimate survey in the United States, 25% of Americans say they are actively a Christian, actively a Christian. That would mean that three out of four or 75% of the people in the United States are either I'm not a Christian or I'm not really active in my faith as a Christian. In other words, I'm a Christian in name only. And I believe that part of the reason for this lack of sharing our faith is we haven't learned how to do it i can remember a time when i thought i would love to share my faith and lead someone to christ but i'm not sure i know what to say i i think i might say it wrong because here are the things i was hearing when people were sharing their faith they'd say things like you need to ask jesus into your heart now no offense but if you don't know jesus what does that mean Ask Jesus in your heart. I remember hearing a seven-year-old say, I didn't want to ask Jesus in my heart because I was afraid he'd be too big and it would hurt. (laughs) It woke me up to the fact that when you start using church phrases, people don't know what they mean. When you say you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, A guy who died 2,000 years ago, you need to make him the Lord of your life. To a non-believer, they're like, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you follow somebody that's not even alive in their eyes? Or this is my favorite. Say this prayer and you'll be saved. Now, no offense, but the truth is there's not a single place in Scripture where someone says, say this prayer and you'll come to know Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm not saying it's bad, I think a prayer is great, I think it's an avenue, I think it's a way, but I think too often, and this was the case for me at eight years old, someone said, you gotta be baptized or you're going to hell. I don't know anything about salvation, I don't know anything about what Jesus did for me, but I got baptized and remained a non-Christian until I was 20 years old, going to church all the time because I got baptized, because there was no understanding of why I was being saved. What did I need to be saved from? Uh, Trusting Jesus for an eternal salvation? How do you do that? What does it mean? So tonight, I just want to clarify the gospel. I want to put it in terms that we can use with anybody where you can talk to somebody and say, this is what it means to get saved. This is why you're lost. And this is what being lost represents. And this is how you get saved. And this is what being saved represents. So maybe we could get comfortable that we know how to share the gospel. I'm gonna tell you straight up, I was a worship pastor for years and then became a lead pastor. And the first thing I did when I knew I was going to be a lead pastor is I said, I have to learn how to share the gospel. Now that may seem weird when you've been in church all your life and you've been able live, but you're used to these phrases. Well, you just need to make him Lord of your life. Well, how do I do that? Um, you say this prayer. So I went to, many, many of you may know this gentleman, his name was David Nichols. He was the pastor of Trinity uh, Church down on, what's the name of that road in Boca? Spanish River, he was the pastor of Spanish River for 47 years before he passed away. But he did this thing at his home called the gospel Boot Camp. I may start this one day. He would have you over to his house on a Friday night and he would walk you through the scripture of why a person is getting saved and what biblical salvation actually means. And then you would come back on Saturday, there were only eight people invited for this weekend and each one of you would have to give up and share the gospel and let him and the others critique it until you got to a place where you shared a gospel that made sense. I don't know that we have time to do that tonight, but if you want to do it one-on-one, I'm ready, let's go. But tonight, I just want to talk about some of the core basics. So if you decide someone at my work needs to hear about Jesus, Uh, someone that I go to school with needs to understand that they're lost, someone needs their life changed, how am I going to do that? So I'm going to give you some keys that I use when sharing the gospel. Most of you have heard me give a gospel presentation. I give a gospel presentation typically once or twice twice a month on a Sunday and you've heard it but I want you to know what's going on inside my head while I'm doing that so hopefully it can go on inside your head and help you. I always start with the fact that we are created. We are created It's not an evolution thing that got us here. That's critical for us to know that God created us, that we didn't just all of a sudden be here and then God jumped into the scene and said, I need to do something now that they can think. He actually created us. Why is that important? Uh, Because uh, when it comes to understanding what Jesus did for me, there was an offense with God. And so I have to understand that I'm created by God to know why I want to resolve that with God. So here's my evolution comments you probably heard before. If you go back and start looking at some of the premise, the basics of evolution, you'll hear these two things over and over and over. Environmental adaptation, In other words, since we're going to be in water, we need to eventually evolve into web between our toes so we can swim easy. We adapt to the environment. We get skin colors. We get hair. We get things. We're adapting. So evolution is this constant adapting to an environment. The second thing you'll hear is survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive. So if you're not developing in such a way that you're not strong, then you will be consumed and no longer continue, and only the fittest will survive. But this is what I want you to do, because for me, the entire evolutionary conversation breaks down with one point. And the one point is, why do we have male and female? Why do we have male and female? If you're a species that needs to adapt and needs to survive as the strongest of who you are, you would never depend on someone else in order for your species to survive. You would find a way to do it yourself. You would evolve in such a way that there was no dependence on anything or anybody else. It looks like this if you wanna take the evolutionary track. Stay with me, this will be fun. So I'm an amoeba. (laughs) Let's develop me. Then let's develop someone like me, but different from me. And let's develop half of what I need to reproduce in me and half of what I need to reproduce in someone else that's like me, then let's make a way for us to be joined together with someone like me to reproduce something that is like one of us who will have to find someone else like them but different in order to reproduce. Are you seeing the craziness of this? It never makes sense anywhere in evolution that we would need a male and a female. We would all be a sexual production. It would all be whatever I need to do to keep going. I will adapt to do that. So male and female is completely contradictory. And listen, I just challenge you to do this tonight when you got, you can't sleep tomorrow sometime. <laughs> go look up evolution, male and female reproduction you are gonna be stunned at the verbal gymnastics they do to try to explain why there's a male and female. And you will find very quickly that almost every one of them go ahead and jump to the fact that there is a male and female, but not why we have male and female. And I believe God starts the Bible by saying he created them male and female because evolution cannot answer that question. Why did God create me? I don't know about you, but for the longest time, God created us for fellowship because God needed somebody to hang out with. I mean, I'm sure that made Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the seraphims and the cherubims and the archangels, I'm sure it made them happy to say, I need somebody to hang out with, so I'm going to create humans. God wasn't lonely. If God was lonely and that's why he created uh, humans, then we have a defective God. God was not. God is, oh good, God is love. Great answer. God is love. So God created us to love us. God's purpose in creating us was so that he could create someone else to love, someone more to love, someone to love more. God loves you and he created you so that he could show you his love. That's why we were created. And then God gave us the free will choice as to whether or not to love him back. That's an amazing move by a father. I'll give you the option. Do you want to love me back or not? But I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to place a tree in the garden, which will give you a choice. And man, we make that tree as big as a building that we can't see around when we read scripture. I want you to think about what Adam and Eve actually had. What was their situation once they were created? Genesis 127 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Men and women, you know what that means. And fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let me just ask you, how much domain did God give Adam and Eve? The earth If you could pick one tree and compare it to having the earth to wander around and play in, how big is that tree? Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree that has fruit yielding seed, it shall be yours for food. Yes, we were vegetarians originally. And every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given you plant, uh, plant uh, green plant fo- for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning on the sixth day. So man has not only the entire earth, but then he has an entire garden. Anybody know how big the garden was? I don't either. So but it was big. I don't think it was the size of this room, but there was a tree in it. So we have one tree on the entire earth and Adam and Eve are somehow overwhelmingly tempted by this one tree. And don't forget, many of you don't know, that there were actually two significant trees in the garden. There was the knowledge of good and evil tree, but there was also the tree of life. Out of the ground, Genesis 2.9, the Lord God grow, caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have two trees. What happens if you eat from the tree of life? You live. Man has an eternal life in the garden. Sin has not entered. He eats from a tree of life. Do you know that tree of life is in heaven for us in our future to eat from? Number four, God tells man, if you eat from this tree, you will die. You will die. And the problem is we think that means our body will collapse and we'll stop breathing. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Nothing. From the standpoint of the fact that they ate from the tree, and if God's word is true, then they died. How did they die? They were separated from God in the death of the spirit realm. So they now are separated from God because they chose to eat from the tree. Now, you've heard me express this before. Why? is Satan trying to get them to eat from this tree. Because Satan, it says in Isaiah 14, 13, and 14, but you, Satan, Lucifer, said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, listen, and I will make myself like the most high God. Why does Satan get kicked out of heaven? Because he wants to make himself like God. Not above God. It says, I will make myself like the most high God. So in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, here's this interaction with Satan and Eve. All this is not something you're going to explain in a a gospel presentation, but you got to (laughs) know the groundwork. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to them, Indeed, has God said to you, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, hey, if we eat from the fruit of the tree, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we can eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, listen, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is Satan doing? He's doing to Adam and Eve the same thing he wanted to do. I want to be like God. God kicks you out of heaven. He goes to Eve and says, I got to get you away from God. If you eat from this, you'll be like God. You want to be like God. Isn't God great? He walks with you a cool the day. He's giving you all this stuff. It's good. If you want to be like him, eat this fruit. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise like God. So she took from the fruit and she ate and she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Let me say that again. She also gave it to her husband with her. Men say with her. With her her, and he ate. Because I think we had all all the time from from being a little kid, we had this picture that Eve is over here with this tree and this snake and he convinces her to eat from this apple. Eh, It's not an apple. But anyways, she takes this fruit and then she goes (laughs) off into the garden, Adam. And she finds Adam says, try this, it's really good. And he has no clue what's going on. Listen, he was there the whole time. He saw what was going on and he let it happen. He's held accountable for it in the New Testament because it says Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. He knew it was wrong, and he did it anyway. She was confused. He knew it was wrong. Guys, get off her back. When Adam says, this woman you gave me, God is looking at her like, really? 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 But here's what's happened now. They have disobeyed God, and we, we, we use this like a club, but it's not a club because the actual issue is that God had provided and said, your love for me will be expressed by enjoying what I gave you and staying away from what I told you not to do. And they listened to him. And they said, okay, we'll enjoy this earth. We'll enjoy the trees. We'll enjoy the fruit from all the other trees, but we won't eat from this one. Satan said, eat this one. And what man decided in that moment is I'm not interested in what God said. I'm interested in what Satan said. So now man is not following God. Man is now following the instruction of Satan. So he has left the kingdom of God and entered the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the prince of the power of this world. He is now following Satan. So what does God do in a physical representation for you and me? He tells them to leave the garden. You are now out of my presence and I will put a flaming cherub here to keep you from re-entering. We are now separated because you're not following me as your God. You're following Satan as your God so you can go be with him. Listen to me. This is the biggest point to make in the gospel presentation. They're making the choice of who they want to follow. You can stay in this place you're in. You can stay in this addicted place. You can stay in this struggling place. You can stay in this emotional chaos and turmoil. You can stay all that, but you're choosing to follow Satan if you do that. God is offering you something different. He's offering you a deliverance from that. He's offering you to break that bondage. He's offering you a joy and a peace that goes beyond your understanding, but it's your choice. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to reject God. They choose to reject. So what I'm saying is it's your choice. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about a gospel presentation when you sit down with someone because I'm not making it for you and I'm not forcing it on you. I'm telling you what it is and then I'm asking you what choice do you wanna make? Do you wanna stay in the kingdom of darkness or do you wanna go into the kingdom of light? So man is now choosing to live with Satan, listen to me, eternally. It's a clean cut picture You follow God, you're with God eternally. You follow Satan, you're with Satan eternally. Your choice, what do you want to do? What's the problem? What caused that separation between us and God? Disobedience, known as sin in Scripture. But immediately, God says, you have now chosen to follow the prince of power of darkness. You are now not with me eternally. You are now with him eternally. But I want to give you a restoration opportunity. I want to be reconciled to you. I created you out of love. I love you so much. I know where that path goes. I know what that life's going to be like. I know what that eternity is going to be like. I want you to come back. So here's how we're going to accomplish it. What broke the relationship? Disobedience and sin." This is where we jump into the parent conversation. Any parent knows, and if you've ever been a kid, if you've ever had parents, you'll get it in a minute. You will recognize that you cannot continue to disobey your parents. They will initiate consequences. Why? Because they're mean and harsh and cruel. No, because they know the path you're headed down, and they don't want you to go down that path. Don't play in the street. Why? There are cars in the street. So what? They will run over you and kill you dead, and I don't want you to be dead. Get out of the street. No, I'm going to play in the street. Let me fashion a symbol of my recommendation on your backside so that you will remember discipline so in other words what happens if there's never a discipline never a consequence between a child and a parent the child goes to hell in a handbasket so God says there has to be a discipline for what's gone wrong but listen if he gives you the just discipline The only right and fair and just discipline is to be separated from him eternally because you won't follow him, because you're disobedient. He just has one discipline. Now, I'm talking about to the believer, he's got disciplines to help you be sanctified and those kind of things. But I'm talking about as it relates to salvation, there's only one consequence. You want to be with me or not? If you want to be with me, then there's a consequence that has to be paid. The consequence for sin is death, the scripture says. Now, you can't endure that death. If you endure that death, you're going to be separated from God eternally. So God says, I have to get a substitute to die for you. And the only available substitute is a person who does not have sin. Because if they're already dead, they can't die for you. So there has to be someone who is righteous before God, who has not sinned, who has not separated themselves from God, who has an eternity with God that can say, I will give that up and take your punishment so that you can be restored to God. And that's Jesus. It's the beautiful story. The true good news of Jesus was actually that he came to this earth and he never sinned. Because if he had sinned, he'd be like you and I, deserving of eternity away from God. But he never did. He was righteous, ready to go into an eternity with God, but instead said, I will substitute with you. I will take your condemnation on myself and I will give you my right standing before God. How does he do that? First of all, he takes the condemnation. The scripture says for all men. For the sins of all men, every single person on the planet, Jesus went to the cross. And and, and and as I mentioned before, there's a whole lot in him being beat. There's a whole lot going on in him taking on the iniquities of man. There's a whole, but he dies on the cross physically, but more importantly, he says something on the cross that makes it make sense. He cries out, My God, Why have you forsaken me? Because God is separating himself from Jesus and saying, you are carrying their sin. You are now not with me. And Jesus physically dies and they put him in a tomb. And if he just would stay dead, then everybody would be nice and confused because he was a good man. He told a good story. He mentioned there was a way to be reconciled to God through his death, but he's dead now. But Jesus didn't stay dead. And there's so much in this theologically, but not when you're sharing the gospel. Here's what you're gonna say when you're sharing the gospel. If he had not come back from the dead, we would not really know there's a life after this one. How do we know there's a life after? Because he was raised from the dead and he met with his disciples and he met, he over 500 people witnessed him. So we know that there is a life after this one. And somehow Jesus beat death and came back to life and now says, I can give you the eternal life with the Father that I have because I've taken care of the punishment. What? It means that one day when I stand before God, God looks at me and says, are you with me eternally or have you been disobedient? Well, you've been disobedient, but the punishment has already been taken care of. The condemnation, the separation has already been taken care of. So there's no need for me to separate from you. Come on in. The scripture calls it being hidden in Christ because he who knew no sin became sin, so that I might become righteous with the Father through him. Are you seeing it? All right. So now what has happened is all of the offense... All of the disobedience and sin that I have shown to God that separated me from God is due an eternal separation from God. Jesus steps in and says, I will take that separation from God for you and you will be righteous before God. Jesus does that on the cross. He is separated from God on the cross, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes back and shows us there's a life after this one. If you want to look in a scripture and begin getting in your mind what does a gospel presentation look like, go to Ephesians chapter 2. With what I have just told you, with what I have just laid out, now I want you to hear this presentation straight out of scripture. For you were dead in your trespasses and sin, separated from God. Now watch how he explains it in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Did you see how he said you were dead? You're following disobedience. That's what's proof that you're dead. Among them, those who walked in disobedience, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So Paul is saying, I'm no better than you. I was lost too. I was dead. I was separated from God. Four, but God, being rich in mercy... Anybody know the difference in mercy and grace? Grace is when you get a favor you don't deserve. Mercy is when a punishment you deserve is withheld. So if I give you mercy, I'm not going to punish you. And God says he's rich in mercy. God loves not to punish. How many parents would love not to give him a spanking? I would really rather not give you the spanking, okay? Because you're going to look at me and you're going to cry with those puppy eyes. And I'm going to say, no, I had to do that. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, I don't care if you're an addict, he loves you made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and has raised us up with him, seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show his surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What did he just say? When you're in Christ, he's gonna show you love over and over and over for eternity. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. That's what we got to grab a hold of. And it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of your works. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't do right things to get there that no one might boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand. So we've been walking them. That's the gospel right there. You were dead, but you've been made alive in Christ through faith. All right. So what am I putting my faith in? There are two things that people put their faith in before they put their faith in Christ. One thing, they put their faith in themselves. I've been good. I have done more good than bad. Therefore, God is gonna accept me into heaven because I'm actually a good person even though I do bad things. How many wrong things did Adam and Eve do to be removed from the garden? One. That's why scripture says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because we already have. I already have. I'm putting my faith in myself. I go to church. I read a Bible. I I pray. uh, I'm a good person. I give. I'm generous. Listen, none of that matters if I've sinned because the sin is what separated me from God. The second thing we put our faith in is the world. The world. I'm good. I don't need a God. I'm happy. I got a good life. Everything's fine. I don't have to worry about an afterlife. I'm worried about here. One day I'll be food for the worms, but everything is good with me. That's a person that doesn't understand they were created and didn't evolve. So what am I putting my faith in? I'm putting my faith in that I cannot... It is impossible. I do not have the opportunity to be good enough to get into heaven on my own merits. I don't. I can't. It's too late. I've already blown it. It's done. It's finished. I've messed up. What am I putting my faith in? The fact that Christ could actually take my punishment for my sin, my consequence, the death and the separation from God, that he could take it on himself and that I could take his righteousness before God. It's pretty simple. I stand before God and God says, I have nothing to condemn you for because it's already been paid. You are righteous. Why? Because there is nothing to punish you for. Christ took all your punishment on the cross. You are free of punishment eternally. You are reconciled to me. This is why God told Eve that I will send my son and he will bruise Satan uh, on the head and Satan will only bruise him on the heel. He will die, but guess what? He's gonna do it for the reconciliation of all mankind. So let's put it together. Let's put it together and what it looks like for a gospel presentation. Because I don't want you to get too, too naughty. It looks like this. You're not a believer. All right, let me explain to you why you would want to be. Because God created us. We didn't evolve or there wouldn't be a male and a female. We're actually a creation of God. God the Father created us because he loves us, man. That's what he wants to do. He just wants to love on us. But we have chose to disobey him and follow the ruler of this world. That's Satan. Satan. And so you're going to stay with for eternity, whoever you're following. So if you're following Satan, you're going to be with Satan eternally. And that says you're going to be in a burning hell. But God is saying, I want to bring you into mansions and streets of gold and eternity with me. But you've got to be able to follow me. But there's a problem. I can never be good enough to get into heaven on my own because I've sinned. I've already disobeyed God. I've already done wrong. And so have you. It's a fact. We all have. So what do we do about that? God sends Jesus. Jesus comes and lives here, and he never sins, so he's righteous. He can spend an eternity with God. And then Jesus chooses to do something for me. He chooses to die on a cross and be separated from God so that he can take care of any consequence or punishment for my disobedience and my sin. And if I believe he's done that for me, if I believe that he rose from the dead and there is a life after this one, then God says, I can change my mind about what I think will get me to heaven. Being good didn't get you there. Doing more good than bad doesn't get you there. Going to church doesn't get you there because sin is still in the way. But Jesus Has taken all of the consequence and punishment on the cross. If you would put your faith in the fact that He did it for you, if you would believe that He did that for me so that I could be clean before God, so that I can be reconciled before God, then God says, Yeah, I'll grant you that. I'll put all that on Him and it won't be put on you, and you can come back and be with me, and I'll begin to teach you how to follow Me. I'll I'll send you my spirit, the Bible says, that He would live in you and He would give you new desires show you what god has for you bring you joy give you peace like you haven't had before would you be willing to try that life would you be willing to walk in that way and believing what christ did for you it's a simple gospel presentation but it's based on the biblical foundation of why we need jesus so when i say you just need to ask him in your heart and people look at me like what does that mean i can say no the problem is i'm separated from him eternally because right now i'm following satan but I want to follow God. And the only way I can do that is let Jesus take care of my past, take care of my consequence and sin and make me clean before God so he can send his spirit to me and walk with me that way. I think we shouldn't be afraid of the gospel presentation. And I think if we learned how to do it, if we learned how to do it in a way that didn't throw a Bible at somebody, that didn't make them try to comprehend things they don't understand yet because they're not a believer and they didn't grow up in church, but they just understood you're either following God or Satan and you're gonna be with them for eternally depending on who you follow. And the only way to change from Satan back over to God is to believe in what Jesus did for you. He took you out of the kingdom of darkness, as scripture says, and he put you into the kingdom of light. Father God, in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here tonight, that it now makes sense that even right now they'd be able to say, you know, I've never done that. I've never just believed that Jesus took all the consequence and punishment on the cross and that he allowed me to be a righteous before God, that I could be hidden in him before God. Right now, God, I just received that. I just take it on. I want to be a child of yours. I want to follow you. I want you to send your spirit to me. I want you to give me new desires. I want you to show me what joy and peace and healing are because I haven't experienced those in the kingdom of dark following Satan. I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross so that I can be your child, God. Now take me and do what you want with me as a child. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. Now for some very exciting news. Pastor Todd's latest book has just been released. It's called Missing Pieces. Have you ever asked yourself, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still do the things I don't want to do? Pastor Todd addresses this and many more important questions that most of us have pondered for years. Pastor Todd fills in the missing pieces that we have wondered about, and when those pieces are understood and put in place, the bigger picture becomes more clear. This new book is available now on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue in Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.